0: Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be over in Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15, or you can follow along in the uh, version app. And uh, while you're getting there, uh, I don't know about you. I'm not the biggest planner. Uh, I try to be a planner. Um, I work on it, but I'm not the biggest planner. Now. Uh, Kay is a planner. Like she can tell you everything that's going on in the next several several weeks, and like I look at her calendar and I'm just overwhelmed. Like, just tell me what's going on. Like right now, um, you you can worry about all that. Like I'll just tell me what's going on now. Um, but I don't know about you. When, and the fact that I'm not the best planner. Like I said, I'm working on it. My thing is when things don't go according to plan, I get a little frazzled. I get a little frustrated sometimes when things don't go according to plan. An example of this, and I'm going to reveal a giant secret to you about myself that only a handful of people in this room actually know about me. I am a wrestling fan. Now, when I say wrestling fan, I don't mean like, you know, you know, collegiate wrestling or anything like i am a wwe wrestling fan okay like when i was growing up when the hulkster said you know eat your vitamins and say your prayers like yes sir brother that's what i uh, i am a i am a wrestling fan and several weeks ago wwe was in tulsa and i had my tickets and i was ready to go and then the ice came and it was icy in Tulsa, and it didn't start until 7, and it didn't get out until 10 or later. And it's like, man, I really, I really want to go, but I don't want to drive on ice in, in the evening. And so Kay was like, hey, maybe it's best if we don't go. And I was like, yeah, I know, I agree. And she was tr- like, you can watch it on TV. Yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> and the whole time I was watching, I was like, man, I could have been there. But sometimes the change of plans, I just I get a little frustrated. I, I sulk a little bit. And maybe you're like me, that maybe it's not something, a small situation. Maybe it's something else in life. And I, I just didn't see me being here like i didn't see life being here i didn't expect this i expected something different and life has been crazy and it's been twist and turns and i don't feel like i'm where i wanted to be i don't feel like this is what my my purpose was or everything just seems out of whack maybe that's where you're at you know sometimes things don't go according to plans to our plans, the plans we make for ourselves, the things that, you know, this is what I envisioned and here I am. And I can't help but wonder, as we read through Genesis, if Abram felt the same way. I mean, Abram's story starts out pretty amazing. God comes to him and he says, guess what? I'm going to bless you. And this promise just keeps running through the story of Abram in Genesis 13:16. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. I don't know about you. I've never tried to count the dust, but I imagine it would take forever. And it's this promise in Abram's life. Guess what? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your offspring is going to be numerous. You're going to inherit the land of Canaan. I'm going to do all of this for you. And, of course, Abram has some difficult situations that come up in his life, and he has some sin issues that get the better of him. You know, the situation in Egypt with his wife Sarai in Genesis 12, kind of a a sticky situation he gets himself into. In Genesis 13, we see Abram and his nephew Lot separates. And just the chapter before chapter 15, we see Abram have to go to battle and rescue Lot out of the hands of Keteliamar. And now we find Abram in a very different place in Genesis 15. And in chapter 15, there's this conversation between Abram and God. And I wonder if Abram felt that same way, that this isn't what I was expecting you see, he hasn't seen the fulfillment of the call in chapter 12. He, he has no children. He's in a place of wandering. And I wonder if he ever thought, this isn't what I was expecting. I was kind of thinking by now I would already see this. You know, Jerry Bridges reminds us that God's plan and his ways of working out his plan are frequently beyond our ability to fathom and understand. We must learn to trust when we don't understand. And we see in Genesis 15, this covenant made between God and Abram. And there's a point in this text that I think is very clear as we talk about it. And so we're going to start in verse 1 of Genesis 15. And this is what it says. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield in your great reward. So God appears before Abram in a vision and he tells him, Do not be afraid. It makes sense that he would tell Abram this, do not be afraid. Abram's just been in battle. He's been in war. He has seen things. He's experienced a, a stressful situation and it's possible that he has this fear of what's going to happen. They're, they're going to retaliate and I'm going to be in trouble or maybe it's the fear of the things that he has seen. And the text kind of shows us that there's a little bit of a fear of his future. And Abram is afraid and confused and perplexed. And God tells him, hey, do not be afraid. It's possible Abram's got fear and trepidation in his mind about everything that's been happening and about his future. But do not be afraid, Abram. This is the first time we see this phrase, do not be afraid or "or fear not in scripture. And this is a phrase that we'll see play or said several other times. He'll say it to Isaac. He'll say it to Jacob. He'll say it to many other people. He says it to Isaiah in Isaiah forty one ten, It says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Just a few verses later in Isaiah forty one thirteen through 14, it says, for I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Do not be afraid, you worm, Jacob, little Israel. Do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And that promise still rings true for us today. Do not fear. We should not fear because God is on our side. Creator God, the Father, our Father God, creator of heavens and earth is on our side. And so we should not fear And he tells Abram, do not fear. And he tells him, the reason you should not fear is because I am your shield. I am your shield. I am your protector from harm, from danger. I am with you. I am your shield. And this is a phrase, again, that we see several times in Scripture. David liked to use it in Psalm 710. He said, my shield is God most high who saves the upright in hearts. Psalm thirty-three twenty tells us we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. He is our shield. He is our protector. Just the same way he was for Abram. He is our shield, protector in times of need. And then he tells them, not only am I your shield, I'm your very great reward. Your very great reward. I am your very great reward. What does that mean? Very great reward. Well, in this context, very great reward means that he is going to bless abram this promise is going to be fulfilled i am going to bless you you are going to have numerous offspring you are going to inherit this land i am going to bless you that is his great reward but you could take that even further god himself is his great reward a relationship with god a relationship with our father with our creator is a great reward that we can worship him praise him walk with him talk with him it is a great reward a great reward also in the fact that someday we will receive a great reward, a heavenly reward, a crown of life. As it says in James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, he will bless them with what they need. That's the important thing with what they need. The, you see, this is the equivalent to what we read in the New Testament in Matthew six thirty three. but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. In Philippians four nineteen, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. And so he comes before Abram and he tells him, do not be afraid. Do not fear because I am your shield, I am your protector, and I am your great reward. I will bless you, you will have what has been promised to you. And so Abram responds in verses two and three. He says, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. And so we see Abram here. He's asking for details. How is this possible? I don't even, I don't even have any kids yet. And yet, you're gonna, you want me to not fear? You want me to trust you? I'm just kind of confused. What's, what's going on? Why? He's asking for details because so far things not, have not gone the way Abram expected. He was waiting for this promise to be fulfilled and yet nothing is happening. And so boldly he asked God, How is this possible? How is this possible? Now, he said, some, my estate is going to be left to Eliezer. And some believe that maybe he was an adopted son of Abram, though there's no information here to say that that is truly the case. It's just likely that there's no other family near. And so this was the person who would take his, uh, who would be the heir to his estate. And I think is interesting is some people look at this This conversation that Abram has, and they believe that this was a moment of unbelief. This was a moment of unbelief from Abram. God, you haven't even given me any children. Why should I trust you? Why should I believe you? Some people read it like that, and I don't think that's the case. And the reason why I don't think this is a moment of unbelief, because look how he addresses God Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord, a sign of respect. Sovereign Lord, how is this possible? And listen to what Paul says about Abram or Abraham in Romans four eighteen through 21. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave god or gave glory to god being fully persuaded that god had power to do what he had promised see i don't think what he's doing here is acting in unbelief i think he's asking god a hard question he's a bit confused he's wondering what's going on maybe he's a bit perplexed this does not mean that he does not believe And I think the thing is too often we sit in silence in our pain and our heartbreak and the things that frustrate us and we never take them before God because we believe that that would just be weak of us or that we would be blaming God or for whatever reason. We don't want to take the things that are in our heart before God. We think that God is too big or too much to hear what we have going on in our lives. But I think R.C. Sproul sums it up really well when he says, By considering the scope of the Bible's teaching on this subject, we may conclude that it is acceptable to bring all our cares to God, including matters that may move us to frustration or anger. But here's what he says, and this is, I think, is what is important. He says, However, we must not come to God in a spirit of complaint or anger against him, for it is never proper to accuse God of wrongdoing. It's not God that has caused our situations. We know that, that as a result of the falling that sometimes these bad situations come up in our lives. But we are able to take those things that are frustrating us, that are hurting us, and we are able to take those things before God and lay those things at his feet and pour our heart out before God. Warren Wiersbe points out that God is not deaf to your questions or unconcerned about your feelings. God cares about the things that are in your heart. I think that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You see, we can, in faith, bring the things that are on our heart and our mind before God with the realization that we cannot accuse God of those situations. And so he goes before God. God, God I just... I don't understand. Explain this to me. How is this possible? And then in 4 and 5, God responds back to Abram. He says, And the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Here's the other reason why I don't believe that Abram asked God the wrong question or that he was acting in unbelief because God's response to him. Hey, I promise you this is not this man is not going to be your heir. He doesn't even mention his name. He just says this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. You know, the phrase here for flesh and blood in the Hebrew literally means one who will come from your own body and be your heir you will have somebody who comes from your own body who will be your heir and i imagine this was he takes him outside and shows him the stars and tells him if you can count all the stars in the sky they will be as numerous as your offspring and I wonder if he was thinking while he was listening to this, Abram is aging, his wife Sarah is aging, and the likelihood of them having a child is impossible. It's improbable in their mind to think that this could actually happen. Luckily, God does amazing work with the impossibilities in life. And he tells him, go outside, count the stars. And if you can, realize they're as numerous as your offspring will be. And we see this promise continue in Genesis, Genesis 22:17 through 18. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Genesis 26, 4, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. God is not going to waver. He is not going to waver on his promise. And listen to Abram's response in verse 6. It says Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord. He believed what the Lord had said. The verbal form here comes across as to say it was a continual thing. He kept believing that God was going to fulfill this promise and he was counted as righteousness to him. And he believed, he believed in what God said. The Hebrew word here translated believe literally means to lean your whole weight upon. To lean your whole weight upon. And so what it's saying here is he would lean everything with everything that was in him, he leaned on God. He leaned wholly on him, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we see from him, righteousness comes through faith. Righteousness comes through faith. When you read in the New Testament, what happens here? Abram's belief here becomes a pillar. It is an essential thought that we see in the New Testament. In Romans 4.3, when talking about faith, it says, what does scripture say? Abram believed Or Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul repeats it in Galatians 3 6 so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In James chapter 2, verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. How amazing is that? And he was called God's friend. And he had faith. He had faith, and it was credited to him as righteous because he believed in what God told him would happen. He believed that God would fulfill his promise. But here's the thing about Abram. His faith was not just words, but it was also backed up by his works. Read Genesis chapter 22 if you need proof of that. The fact that he's willing to sacrifice his son Isaac to prove his faith. Hebrews 11, 8, and 9, in the Hall of Fame of Faith, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. He believed, and he backed it up with his faith. He backed up his faith with works. And here's the thing I think that is important. It's an important reminder for us. Sad truth is, is so often when things don't seem to be going the way we think they should be going, we start to pull away from God. We start to pull away from God, and we start to get frustrated, and we start to get angry. God, you're not moving in the time frame that I would prefer you to move. You're not working as quick as I would like you to, or, or you're not doing what I want you to do. This is what I think should be happening, and you're not doing that. And when things start to get difficult, we start to pull away, and we start to put the blame on him, and we start to say, God, what is going on but here's the thing. No matter what our situation, we need to believe. We are called to believe. No matter the situation we are in, we are called to trust. We are called to obey. We are called to listen because he knows what's best. And he has a promise and he has a plan. And we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. One other important thing to know about this. It says that he believed in God. And this is the first time we see this phrase with Abram that he believed but I don't think this is where his faith began. I think his faith began all the way back in chapter 12 when he goes to this foreign land, when he obeys God and he listens to him and he goes. And so we continue on the verse 7 and 8. It says, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, "Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it?" God here is reaffirming to him, to Abram, the land of Canaan would be his and his descendants. Genesis 12:7 tells us the Lord appeared to Abram and said, "To your offspring I will give you this or I will give this land." So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. In Genesis 13:15, "All the land you see I will give to you and your offspring forever." Genesis thirteen seventeen. go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you this is going to be yours your descendants your offspring this will belong to you and so again we see Abram ask a question of God how can I know I will possess it this is a good question that he is asking it's not a question of unbelief it's an actually a good question first think of Abraham again he starts with respect sovereign Lord And then he asked, how is this going to happen? He is in the middle of 10 pagan nations. He's in the middle of 10 pagan nations. He's just been in battle, and he's probably wondering, what in the world am I going to do to take the land from all of these pagan nations that are living here? Good question. If we were in his shoes, we'd be asking the same question. How in the world am I possibly going to take this land when I'm sitting in the middle of 10 pagan nations? I like how one commentator worded it. He said, "Abram is admitting that he cannot see a path from where he is now to the promise God had made for him. He's wondering, how in the world am I going to get there?" And I think we can relate, right? Sometimes God lays something on our heart, sometimes he lays a task or an opportunity, and we wonder, "How in the world is this even possible?" How in the world is this even possible that I am going to be able to do this thing that you have laid on my heart? It doesn't seem probable to me. I understand this. I am shy by nature. I am an introvert by nature. And I ask, man, how in the world is it possible, God, that I could even stand before people and preach your word? I am too shy, too quiet to do this. We think sometimes, how is it possible? And so we say, that's great, God, but how? And I think we can relate to Abram. He's wondering, how in the world am I going to get to that point? And so God's going to respond. In verse 9, he says, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And so to a sign of this prophet or prophecy or the sign of this promise being fulfilled, he is going to make a covenant with Abram. And he tells him to bring these animals. And these animals he's told to bring is going to represent the people of Israel, and so he cuts these few animals in, in half and uh, we see that he lays them opposite each other and the birds, however, he did not. But then birds of prey, things are going well and there, are you know, these sacrifices and things are going well. And then all of a sudden here comes these birds of prey to feast on the carcass and Abram has to shoo them away. Many believe this is an omen of what is to come based on the verses that we are about to read in verses 12 through 16, which says, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And the fourth generation, your descendants, will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And so we see now that he's put into a deep sleep. He's put into this deep sleep. And it doesn't tell us, you know, was everything that we read previously with the sacrifice, was it in a vision? Was it, was he awake? We kind of see that he starts out in a vision and then he offers these sacrifices and then he falls into a deep sleep. So um, whatever the case is, now we're going to see God talk more about this covenant. And he says that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. This is referring to captivity in Egypt. This would be from the time Jacob entered Egypt to when the people left Egypt. 400 years it's more likely a round figure and the reason we say it's a rounded figure is because in Exodus 12.40 it tells us now the length of time the israelite people lived in egypt was 430 years and it's kind of interesting abram is wondering why nothing has happened in all this time and it was probably 10 years from chapter 12 to chapter 15 and he's wondering why hasn't this promise been fulfilled yet but god's timing does not always line up with our timeline god's thinking about the long game Abram's thinking, man, this is going to take place right now in the next 10 years. God is saying 430 years from now is when they will come into this land. But God's timing, again, does not always line up with our own. Second Peter 3, 8 through 10 reminds us of this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness instead he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance but the day of the lord will come like a thief the heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare our time is not the same timeline as god's and he tells him for 400 years your your descendants are going to be slaves but then he tells him i am going to end up taking care of this i will punish the nation and but I will punish the nation, they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. And this actually does happen. They come out with great possessions. Exodus 12, 35 through 36 tells us, the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. They will come out with these possessions with great possessions and that is exactly what happens and then he tells Abram you however are going to go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age Abram's not going to be here for all of this he will have passed on before this point. and we know that he will Lived to be 175. It tells us in Genesis 25, 7 through 8. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abram breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. I just love the way this is laid out. You will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. He's not going to have to live through these 430 years in the hands of the Egyptians. And then he tells them here, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. They're going to be given the land, but not yet, not yet. And what we see here is an amazing act of mercy on the part of God. He's not going to bring judgment before it is warranted, before it has reached its full measure. When people want to say that God is a monster and without mercy, look at this. He's giving them an opportunity. They haven't yet done their, their measure of, you know, sin has not yet reached this warranted point. He's not going to bring judgment a minute before it's warranted. And then he continues in verses 17 through 21. It says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoke and fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenezites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergeshites, and Jebusites. That's a mouthful. Try to say that ten times fast. You see this. Sun has set smoking fire pot blazing torch appears and passes between the pieces. Fire is often seen as a sign of holiness and judgments. And Bible ref points out that passing between sacrificial animals was meant to imply a binding oath on those who participated. And if this is the case, notice how Abraham does or Abram doesn't pass through the animals. This shows us that the oath is totally dependent on God's will and God's work. There's nothing that Abram can do. This is a promise from God to God based on God's word, based on his promise. It's not anything that Abram is doing. And on that day, he makes this covenant, this promise with Abram that this land in the midst of these pagan countries will be yours. And so... I mentioned earlier, I think there's something that's very important about this text, something that I think is very, it stands out very much when talking about Genesis 15. And I think it's this, God fulfills his promises according to his time and his will. God fulfills his promises according to his time and his will. We've talked about it already this morning, but I think this is why this covenant with Abram is important. It shows us that God will fulfill his promises. God will do what he says. But the thing is, God does not always move in the time frame we want. And sometimes, and all the time, He's going to do what's according to His will, not our will. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it. He says, God does not give us everything we want, but He does fulfill His promises, leading us along the best and straightest paths to Himself. Things don't always go according to the way we have planned them, uh, according to the way we desire them, according to our will. Things don't always go that way, but we need to trust in his promises. We need to trust in his promises, that he is good, that he will deliver, that he is faithful. When he makes a promise to us, he delivers. Psalm 33, 4 tells us, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so we will go through trials, we will go through storms, and sometimes we just have to be patient. We have to be patient, we have to wait, we have to trust that he is working and he is moving according to his will and according to his timing. And that does not mean that God is not faithful to the promises that he has made. And you see, here's the thing. God protected his covenant. Over and over and over again, he tells the descendants of Abram who would become Abraham, I'm going to follow what I told Abraham. I'm going to do what I promised for Abraham. And he keeps that promise and he keeps that covenant. It is dependable, that covenant. And here's the thing. He's done the same thing for us today. He's established for us a new covenant a new covenant established by Jesus. And here is the thing. We can enter this covenant with him. Just as Abram enters this covenant with God, we too can enter this new covenant. We can enter it with him. And in doing so, we receive a few things. One, we receive eternal salvation. Hebrews 5, 9 says, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey. We also receive an eternal inheritance Hebrews 9.15, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. But not only do we receive these things, no, we also receive eternal glory. First Peter five ten, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, with himself or will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. But here's the major thing we need to remember. This covenant happens when we put our faith, our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ. He is the only way, and to put our faith in him and believe is the only way. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and as they do, maybe you're here this morning and you've never entered into that new covenant with God. Maybe you've never given your life to him. If that's the case, what better time than now? What better decision can we make right now than to give our life to him, to put our faith, our trust, our hope in him, enter into that relationship with him? And we need to follow the example of Abram who heard what God promised and he believed. And guess what? Abram made mistakes. He made mistakes the very next chapter. It doesn't take very long. He makes this covenant with God and the very next chapter, he tries to go and act on his own and fulfill this thing on his own. And it just causes more problems. He was sinful, but he believed. And he believed in God and he believed in what God said and it was credit to him as righteousness. And we can make that same decision to believe in him this morning, to give our lives to him, to follow him. And so if that's you on your connect card, you can write it down. I'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're just going through a season. And maybe you were waiting and waiting and waiting and you've, you felt God lay this thing on your heart and yet it just feels like God is not working. He is not moving. He is not being faithful to his promise. Know this, he is. God is moving. God is faithful no matter our situation in life, no matter what is happening in our lives. It's not always gonna go according to our will, our plan, our time. But God is faithful. He is faithful and we need to trust him and we need to trust his will and we need to trust his timing because God knows what is best for us. And so if you're here this morning and you've been struggling with that, maybe you just need to lay that before the feet of God. Help me to trust you more. Help me to listen to what you say and help me to know that your promises are good no matter what the situation, no matter how long it takes to, to experience that. Father, God, I know that you, your words are true and you are faithful. And so if you're here this morning and that's you, I pray that where you're sitting, you can come up here and pray with me. I'd love to pray with you. And God is faithful. And God will fulfill his promises. And God will fulfill the things that he has said he will fulfill. We just need to remember that sometimes it's going to take patience. It's going to take time because God does not always work on our time. And God does not always work according to our will. He always works according to his will we need to trust him and be obedient no matter the situation. And so if you're here this morning and you have a decision maker, you need to spend time in prayer, please do so as we stand and we sing.